And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome back to The Shamrock, brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best live and on-demand. Learn more at directtv.com. I am Pete Sampson, joined as always by my co-host Matt Fortuna. And today's special guest, I think one of our um, our most popular guests based on uh, the two or three comments that we receive uh, on our podcast, John Walters, Notre Dame alum, uh, host, or, uh, author of The Bubble Screen, my favorite uh, sort of wrap-up. A, a sort of pithy commentary on TV. So I guess, John, welcome back to the show. Um, you're, you're here to entertain us. So hopefully this will be a, a funny next 45 <laughs> minutes. Well, Pete, I, I got the request to appear on the Shamrock and I looked at the schedule. I said, obviously this must be Notre Dame's biggest football game of the season. <laughs> that is why Matt and Pete are coming to me. So I am here for you on this game that everyone's had circled on their calendars for at least a year. <laughs> For the record, I mean, full disclosure, we uh, hopefully you're not put off by this. We were trying to get Greg McElroy and he sort of blew us off. So <laughs> I'm the Regis, I'm yeah. the Regis Philbin, Tony Randall of the Shamrock. That's fine. <laughs> I don't mind. Uh, can we get a bubble screen preview right now of your thoughts on Notre Dame's home opener being behind, basically behind well, a payroll streaming? I mean, I hope you guys are tweeting really well because I'm, I'm going with what Mark Packer, who's my new ESPNU radio favorite guy, said. He's like, I'm going to be calling people. Am I, he, I'm not specifically subscribing to Shamrock for this game. Um, or Peacock. And, uh, Peacock, unless, yeah, this is a Shamrock. You better subscribe. subscribe to this <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, to the Peacock. Peacock, Shamrock, you guys, yes. I'm not subscribing to Peacock for this game uh, unless, you know, the higher ups at the Athletic – all of a sudden, you know, put it in the expense report. But uh, so, no, I mean, just you guys, again, you need to be on your tweeting game on Saturday. Uh, otherwise, I'm not going to know what's going on. It's a lot of pressure. I think there, this is going to be a heavy tweet, heavy tweet game. Um, John, you are a, a media critic. And so I wanted to start with the most ridiculous thing that I saw and heard last weekend from Notre Dame's opener at Florida State. Also, you have a good historical perspective, so you know who John McKay is. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. What What is wrong with us that Brian Kelly making a poorly delivered joke that he had to explain became a headline? Like, what what is wrong with us as a society? Well, a lot, obviously, but let let's. I know Matt is going to. I, Matt, Matt's going to know exactly where I'm going here. You probably will too. This reminds me of the Seinfeld episode with Dr. Timothy Watley, who or oh, Watney. I'm offended as a comedian. That's what yes. I was thinking of. Yes. You're That's exactly what I was thinking of when he said it. No, I'm offended as a comedian. Yeah. It's, it's not that he didn't deliver the joke well. Yeah. That's the problem. Well, plus, you know, so many folks now don't even know the reference. But the original joke by John McKay was a question 
what did you think of your, or what do you think of your team's execution? And he said, I'm in favor of it. So it's, it's pithy, it's snappy. Brian Kelly in the moment over explained the joke. And it's <laughs> Rule not number one of jokes. Don't do that. <laughs> right. You don't want to do that. And, and so I thought it was funny because I, I wrestled on whether or not to put it into the bubble screen this week. And I did not. And one of the reasons I didn't, I thought I'm going to be accused of mansplaining Brian Kelly's joke if I do this. But I also I just think like you, it's get over it. Get over it. That's to me like the three greatest words of advice for most younger people today is just get over it. Um, and so like, it wasn't a big deal. Personally, here's my here's my theory on this. I think Brian Kelly really wanted to say how furious he was at the referees. And he knew that was not something he should say on national TV. So he was sort of caught on a like, what, what am I supposed to talk about here? But if you look at it, think of like the two referee moments in, in the fourth quarter or overtime of that game that are just, they're inexplicable. And they're, they're, there's no way to, um, you know, what's the word I'm looking for here? Just to, I don't want to say forgive it. The, 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 the roughing the punter and the uh, fumble incomplete pass are tuck rule level. We're never going to see those penalties called that way again. Not one, but two. And if you're Brian Kelly, aren't you just like, how do you, ex- I, I, you're apoplectic at that moment. Yeah. And he was post game. I, I believe uh, our friend Tim Priester started into a question about officiating and like whoever was going to ask that question was going to get the, of course you would ask about that. What do you even want me to say? Like, <laughs> it's, uh, it was, yeah. It, e- I and it's easy to talk about. There was a lot to process in that game anyway, mm-hmm. like without the calls. Yes. So I sort of get yes. why he was like, when he came into his postgame presser, like that dude was fried. Like he had had yeah. a long, long night. And I, I think that it was, the officiating was only a, a part of that, but I just don't think he was thinking clearly when uh, Katie George went up to him to ask for like, hey, what did you think of what the heck happened tonight? He, he clearly wasn't. And, you know, there's so much, like you said, there was a lot to unpack. I, I teach a class at ASU when we went over the fourth quarter about how you would cover that game. But one of the things that amused me was that Houston Griffith getting beat on the long pass was actually his second worst defensive yeah. play of the game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the first being knocking off Jordan Travis's helmet, forcing him out of the game. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't <laughs> unleash the moment. And and I mean, let's let's face it. The moment Mackenzie Milton completed that first pass, it went through everybody's head, right? Yes. The first completion, you're like, uh oh, I know where this is going. I know where this is going. Uh, I'm I'm slightly surprised that Notre Dame won the game, and I think that's their first overtime road win. It is they've ever had, right? It is. Wow. So crazy. That, that- you know, it reminded me of Mo Lewis. Like, Mo Lewis birthed Tom Brady by hitting Drew Bledsoe out of bounds and changing right. the trajectory of, of the, really the sport of football. Yeah, um, the sport of football. But Brian Kelly there reminded me almost of, like, my dad or a drunk uncle, like, getting up at the Thanksgiving <laughs> dinner table. And it's just like, don't do it, don't do it. Now you're explaining it. Oh. Everyone's looking at each other awkwardly. <laughs> oh. And then, again, if you try to explain the bad joke, it's only worse for you. So just stop talking. Well, I, 
I will say we're four days out from this game. My mentions are still a tire fire of people arguing with each other whether he actually meant to kill his his players or not. So right. we're in a good place as a fan base and a podcast right now, <laughs> if that's what we're talking about. Well, it's better than he should be fired because they lost, right? So yes, yes. there's 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 that part of it as well. The weird part about that game, and maybe we can talk about it real quick, is after about 10 minutes, you thought, oh my gosh, maybe Notre Dame's underrated at number eight or nine or whatever they're at. After about... Until the the ninety yard run or eighty nine yard run, they looked they looked really really good. You know, yeah. opening series touchdown, defense smothering Florida State, and then all of a sudden the game changed into a game. But for about eight minutes there, I'm sure ND Nation was just thinking, like, do we are we going to be second or third in the playoff selection? You know, yeah, it was it was fun to watch from that perspective because it was you saw some evolution from, you know, Tommy Reese offensively. Certainly the defense was completely different from Marcus Freeman to Clark Lee. And it all sort of like unraveled there in the fourth quarter. But um, I think it, I, I want to get your perspective on this. Cause I mean, you, you've covered Brian Kelly games. Obviously, you know, Notre Dame, like what it's about. Um, we're sitting here. Brian Kelly is two wins away from tying Newt Rockney uh, for the all time mm-hmm. wins record. And mm-hmm. I still feel like he is underappreciated nationally, and certainly, I, I think even underappreciated from Notre Dame's own fan base. Like, how how do you process that part of it? The fact that we're we're covering a coach here that is about to tie and eventually surpass the statue, um, like mm. the the guy who is Notre Dame football. Uh, I I don't think Brian Kelly is lovable. And, and I think he's an incredibly, incredibly intelligent and precise coach. Who He is a CEO. And, and one thing that I've talked about, and you guys I'm sure have written about, is ever since 2016, which is 17, 18, this is the fifth season now, Notre Dame does not lose a game that it's supposed to win. And that's highly underappreciated by most fan bases outside. I mean, you know, Tuscaloosa and maybe one other town, Okay, but every place else, it happens. Ask Oklahoma fans about losing a game you're supposed to win or being up 20 points and then choking in the fourth quarter at home. Notre Dame does not lose those games because they're an extremely well-coached team, and that's complete credit to Brian Kelly. But he doesn't have Lou Gifts, Lou Holtz's gift for charm, um, our Persegian's sense of being all about Notre Dame, Newt Rockney's everything. And these are the these are the people he is going to be compared against fairly or unfairly. Even Terry Brennan, who just passed away, and you guys know that. I mean, he went down to Oklahoma and ended the longest winning streak in college football history. Even though he wasn't a very successful Notre Dame coach, he will always live in, in the school lore for having done that. So the question comes back to, yes, Brian Kelly, Kelly is going to beat Newt Rockney's all-time record. But... Frank Leahy won a national championship and Lou Holtz won a national championship and Newt Rockney won a national championship. Did Brian Kelly win a national championship? And we'll say, well, the, the atmosphere is different. The environment is different these days. And it is. But this is the standard that people are going to hold him to fairly or unfairly. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Our friend Ralph Russo and I have had this discussion where it just feels like in some ways he's always been a man without a home, for lack of a better analogy. I mean, I think mm-hmm. part of that is he's basically been his own boss forever. So he doesn't mm-hmm. have this like coaching tree or coaching friends or fraternity like so many other people in that business do. I think subconsciously, whether everyone will come out and say this or not, there's a piece in the back of the minds of every Notre Dame fan that will never forgive him for interviewing with the Eagles two days after the national (laughs) championship game. Like that's just not something whether, and we don't know whether what was happening behind the scenes during the Holtz days and everything else, but that's just not something that I think a a quote unquote Notre Dame man or a guy who's happy to be Notre Dame would theoretically do in that moment. Uh, But, but he's also, and again, we've talked about this before to his credit, he's not warm and cuddly and he's never tried to be, and he's never cared. Right. Um, and I think that's you know partly why some of his jokes fall flat, mm-hmm. um, but it's also why like it's helped him succeed in this environment in 2021 where you can't say anything without um, getting raked over the calls. I, I just there's an admirable admirable quality to him that I don't think all of us appreciate in the moment that we will definitely appreciate when it's gone because it's so easy, especially at this level at this job, to stub your toe. Every mm-hmm. single day, and whether it's by just staying out of the spotlight or whatever it is, he's managed to be as private of a public figure as I can possibly imagine in that in that um, in that seat. Yeah, and I mean you're absolutely right. And it's I know I'm not sticking to sports here, but you know when when the electricity <laughs> always works and you turn on the faucet and the water always works, you don't appreciate all the work that goes into that. But then when you live someplace where all of a sudden the electricity doesn't work for a week. You're like, oh, you know what? It takes competence to have this stuff running. And, and everything you agree, said, Matt, I agree with. Like, he just, he's incredibly competent. It's very tough to stay at that school for 12 years or so um, and win consistently, which he has done, and not make everything dramatic. Uh, and Pete, you had that point after the game where you said, let's, let's play if Lane Kiffin or Ed Orgeron had said, the execution joke. It would have just been laughed off in five minutes. Um, and we, you know, Ed Orgeron had a great line with the, with the, you know, your sissy blue t-shirts. Right. And, and why should anybody be against these things? This is what makes college football wonderful. Right? I, like, <laughs> like, yeah, I won. You're, you're dead on about that. I just, I sort of, I like to play the imagine if somebody else said things or imagine if Brian Kelly said what Ed Orgeron said, like if Brian mm-hmm. Kelly if Notre Dame played uh, UCLA and mm-hmm. Brian Kelly made a sissy blue, like that would be a huge story. Right. Um, or if Brian Kelly said, I'm just going to get COVID and keep it the rest of the year. We're playing so well, like <laughs> people would lose it. Um, yes. We would lose it. So it's just, I mean, it's one of those Notre Dame things like, and like 
Notre Dame should not complain about this treatment because it shows that people care all the time, mm-hmm. maybe too much. Mm-hmm. Like that's a good thing. Um, but it is bizarre to me. Like just like what, what weird college football coaches can say and people just laugh it off. And then Brian Kelly will say something similar and it's a, you have Chris Fowler tweeting about it and it's in every right. media column or reaction to the, to the weekend. Well, allow me to make a reference almost as old as John McKay's, but you know, Spicoli can say whatever he wants in class, but if Mark Radner does, you're like, you can't say that you're the nerd, right? Like, you know, there's different characters who get away with different things and Spicoli can, he's Spicoli. That's what makes, you know, he, and it's genuine. And, and, you know, the genuine authentic part of Brian Kelly is that he's incredibly professional in how he takes care of business. So he's not allowed to be Spicoli because that's not his personality. That's not what you guys see day in and day out. Ed Orgeron isn't that guy. Like he's more of a caricature. So he can get away with it because it's all part of all the authenticity of Ed Orgeron. Um, so, you know, that that's part of it. Like when once Brian Kelly has been around so long, like Nick said, we know who he is, right? So we know who Nick Saban is. We know who Brian Kelly And when they go out of what we think of them as being, uh, it, it, it ruffles feathers. And again, everything you said about Notre Dame, like they just set themselves apart. They're not in a conference, blah, blah, blah. I sort of laughed the other night because I thought, wow, if, if Notre Dame was full-time ACC members this year, maybe they get one of those two calls at the end of the game. <laughs> but it's almost like the ACC saying, it's not, there's nothing in it for us anymore. Like, we're human. Like, there's just nothing in it any, for us to help you out. So sorry, that's not a 15-yard roughing the punter penalty, even though he spin, spun around like a top. Too bad. I, I would argue, like, we know who Brian Kelly is because we've covered him closely for 12 years. I still don't think the general public, and judging from the reaction to Sunday night, I would agree. I, I still don't think the general public has a clue about him other than the guy who occasionally gets purple-faced on the sidelines and yells at players. Like, I, I just don't think, and again, to his credit, he does not care, which mm-hmm. 119 out of 120 guys in that seat do care. He does not care what people think of him. But I think the lack of outreach in that regard um, hurts him in moments like that, like as far as public perception. I mean, you know, Pete and you like to play the what if game. Like I just, it's Notre Dame. Like Dabo says stupid stuff every day. Like that's who he is, but he talks every day. So everyone forgets about it. Brian Kelly does not talk all that much relative to people in that seat. And I, I, I think that creates a, that lets stories or lets comments linger maybe longer than they should. One more thing, not to blabor the point, but I think John will appreciate this. You're a fan of Mike Picardo, the New York Post. He had a recent column um, talking about how no one feels bad for the Yankees, and he had two quotes in there that I immediately thought of Notre Dame when I, I read them. It was Joe Torre in 2001 saying, people love us, hate us, despise us, devote themselves to us, but one thing nobody is ever going to feel is sorry for us, no matter how bad things get for us, and that's 100% fair. And Joe Girardi added during a an injury rabbit season. I like to think people don't root for our guys to get hurt, but I absolutely understand that it doesn't break their hearts when stuff happens to us. And I think <laughs> if there's a shortcoming at Notre Dame, it's their failure to recognize how important and how popular they are to so many people. I think too often they want the kid glove treatment when the reality is that's just not the case. I, I to, to uh, accentuate your point, and Matt knows the bar, I was in Blondie's once on West <laughs> okay. 79th Street. <laughs> 
It was the early 2000s, Matt. And Notre I Dame, might have been there. You might have been there. It might. I know it wasn't you, but it it might have been Darren Ravel. And you'll see. You'll see where I'm going here. <laughs> Easy to get us too confused, but go on. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> so Notre Dame is playing at Texas A&M. Uh, early season game, Pete. I can't remember what year. You might remember it. Uh, it's two thousand one. They're, they're getting destroyed. They're getting destroyed at in College Station, and a fan in a Northwestern T-shirt stares at the screen and yells in jubilation, "F you, Notre Dame!" And I thought, where else does a guy who doesn't even go to Texas A&M, I mean, in a Northwestern shirt, get so happy? That Notre Dame, like what other school would bring that sort of, you know, elation to someone that they would yell that in public because Notre Dame, like they're, they're a school that they don't even isn't they're not involved with is losing to not to their team. That's that's to me, that's Notre Dame football right there. Yes, that's it. Party of one for Notre Dame. Uh, and that group. <laughs> it could have been Stuart Mandel. I'm not yes. sure. I can't Oof. really recognize. Yeah. You know, and Brian Hamilton, maybe maybe a little bit. It before could have been Brian. Well, Brian Allenton was saying that in the it, press It could box, have been right? every single colleague of ours other than us three because we're the only ones that didn't go to Northwestern. <laughs> <laughs> All right, John, exactly. b- before we started recording, and I want to talk to you about Jack Cohn anyway because I think it's kind of a, an interesting story. Is a, a one-off mm-hmm. at Notre Dame sort of cuts against this, like, growing into the program vibe here. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's the Wisconsin narrative coming up at the end of the month, uh, but also the uh, – the lacrosse part of it too. Um, it's, so you have to tell the story about what happened when you tweeted out something that effect on Sunday night. So I think, I think Jack Cohn had just thrown his third touchdown pass of the game, maybe even his fourth. And I jokingly tweeted that, you know, Jack Cohn has now become the greatest lacrosse turned college football player in the history of American sport, you know, step aside Jim Brown and Chris Hogan as a joke. You know, and all of a sudden somebody slid into my DMs saying like, whoa, 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 I know you're kidding, but you've gone a little too far with the Jim Brown, you know, talk, the slander. And that person who had never contacted me before in any way, shape or form was Mike Tirico. And <laughs> I thought you were going to say Nick Osello, but go on. <laughs> Mike Tirico slide into my DMs. I'm like, I didn't even know he was following me. I don't know who told him about this. So. So, of course, you know, I said, well, hey, listen, I saw the Dirty Dozen. Jim Brown is a legend. You know, until Jack Cohen appears in a movie with Lee Marvin and Ernest Borgnine, you know, he's not even close. It's unlikely. If Florida State won, there would have been a movie on Mackenzie Milton's comeback, and he could have played a a starring role. He might be in that movie. So it was was very funny. Uh, And so we had a nice, you know, friendly chat. But I just thought it's, it's amazing. This is what makes, you know, college football great. If. I don't think Mike Tirico would have gotten into my DMs for anything I would have said during the Olympics, right? He he wouldn't have been like, no, 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 uh, you know, I don't I don't think um, I'm trying to remember his name, Warholm, the Norwegian 400 you know meter hurdler. I don't think Karsten Warholm is the greatest 400 meter hurdler. That would not have gotten Mike Tirico into my DMs. But we have just mentioned Norwegian. High hurt or high, intermediate hurdlers on the Shamrock, which I imagine is a first. That's definitely a first. And Ernest Borgnine, he has not come up either. <laughs> if you criticize Peacock, maybe that will get you another another DM. That, that might Rico. be it. That, might that be. does bring me to my next question. And again, yes. I'm sure you'll see the highlights because you're not going to be watching it. But 
What are your expectations for Drew Brees in his broadcasting debut? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I think he'll do very well. Um, I, I, you know, every time I've ever seen him talk, he's obviously edu- you know very intelligent, um, very thoughtful, insightful. It's his first. You know, they're, they're throwing him in the deep end in the sense of not that it's Toledo, that's or Peacock, but. I mean, he. This is this is where he's beginning basically his broadcast career on national television, on network, you know, on TV, big big games. So there's probably going to be a few rough edges, but there are some guys like you know, like you know, Peyton Manning would be fine in his first start. Drew Brees to a certain degree, I think Aaron Rodgers would be great. You know, I I, I look at baseball and I, I listen to John Smoltz, and I just think I'm sure people who hung around John Smoltz's whole career knew he'd be great at this. Mm-hmm. especially writers who covered the Braves. I imagine writers who cover the Saints are going to tell you that Drew Brees is going to do a great job. Don't you think? I Yeah, I feel like I have high expectations for this one. It's and a, you know, it's a matter of doing your homework, right? Like, mm-hmm. is this, is the NBC broadcast sort of treated as getting reps for the NFL or is it sort of its own thing, right? Like, because right. I, I think it can be both, Um and it needs to be both for it to go really well, but I could see it also being like, let's have you do Notre Dame. So we're preparing you to sort of be a Tony Romo type down the road for us on air mm-hmm. in games. Mm-hmm. That's my, That's I mean, possible. don't expect uh, Romo. Like, I think he'll be good, but I think Romo is so freaking good and so one of a kind. And we saw Monday night football, try to replicate that and it didn't work. And you know, it's like every other business. Some, someone tries something new, it works and everyone else wants to try it. I think he'll be good. I don't know if I want to like sit back away from to be the next Romo because I just don't know if that's possible for anyone. I was actually intrigued, and I was working um, for, for your audience. Now I was working for NBC at the Olympics this summer when all the Maria Taylor stuff was going down. So I was kind of curious. It's like, well, we bought this shiny new toy. How are we going to deploy it? Um, and you know, the scuttlebutt was like, well, they're not going to put her on. Notre Dame football because she has to do Sunday night football. Like, like that's where she's more valuable, but it is interesting to me because Maria Taylor did a great job on college game day, but uh, she won't be involved with Notre Dame football as far as I know, um, even though she would do a wonderful job there. But, you know, I, it, it, I'm curious to see how she herself evolves and feels about this. Cause she did, she's a great sideline reporter. Um, so she went being from being the number one sideline reporter on ABC's number one game to not being a sideline reporter, uh, at least for right now, um, I th- for college. I thought college. the same with Heather Cox when NBC hired her. I thought she'd be doing – because she was ABC's number one at yeah. the time too. And right. she never did Notre Dame. No, she's, no, she didn't. So that would be – and I feel bad for Maria Taylor because now George is finally good. Like that's her that's her alma mater. <laughs> <laughs> they're always I mean, they're good, good, John. Now they're really good. Now they're really good. Uh, so, I, yeah, I, I just I found it funny. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all... It's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. What? Tell me more about this ASU class. What's Professor Walters like? Oh, my gosh. You have to ask. Well, don't ask me, but, I mean, uh, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. I, uh, I teach three courses this semester, and I try to get Pete Sampson, uh, you know, come and, and at least kill one of those days with his insights <laughs> and expertise per semester. Uh, and then Bruce Feldman comes in and, uh, lets everybody know, you know, you can do this too. So anyway, it's, it's fun. I try to mix in, um, sports, but history. And I have a few crackpot theories that I'm sure Pete's going like, well, wow, that's surprising. Um, (laughs) is there another (laughs) kind of theory I would ask you that, that, that I have? No. So I try to like, I think. Um, mix, mess with their minds a little bit to think about sports beyond the bubble that they've grown up in watching sports. Why, you know, one of the things I tell to them about is why do you think 105,000 people come in to watch a football game, even after their team's been eliminated from playoff contention? Um, you know, you could, you could get, so I, I, I try to appeal to their demo. I said, like, you get Kanye West to sell out a stadium that big once or twice, but you couldn't get it probably five times a year or six times a year in the same city. Like what makes sport, particularly football, a different level of entertainment and why are we so obsessed with it as a culture? So I, I try to get them to think about stuff like that. Um, I, would, I recently I definitely take this class, John. Well, so I recently showed them and Matt, I don't know if you've seen it or Pete, like the, the movie 2001, a space odyssey. And early in the film, and anybody listening can, can YouTube it, there's a scene where two little tribes of chimps are fighting over a little pool of water, basically because it's survival, right? But one tribe of chimps has learned to use bones as a tool, and the other has not. So that tribe, the top guy beats the other top guy to death, and it's survive and advance, right? And I say, you know, my students laugh and stuff. And then I say, but we've evolved so far. And the next thing I show is a fan fight in the stands of a Chargers Rams preseason game. <laughs> and it looks remarkably similar, except for the bone. You know, So the point is, like, we've come nowhere as a society, as a, as a species, we've come nowhere. And, and the kicker on this is at least the chimps were fighting over something that mattered. Like they were fighting over water to survive. What are the Rams and Chargers fans fighting over? Other, you in, know, like in the preseason. <laughs> in the preseason. Thank you. 
So this sounds a lot more like a sociology or history class. It, than is, it is a little bit like a sociology and, and history class, Matt. It is. Um, so I could go on, but I don't want to bore your audience, but it's stuff like that. <laughs> what? Um, Good luck what, transitioning to that one. Yeah, I know. I'm having a hard time thinking of a follow-up question on this. But if this podcast is running long, we have a Brian Kelly press conference coming up. Um, what? I mean, what do you think of Notre Dame after watching – Sunday night, like, and I asked that in the sense of so much of like the Notre Dame coverage, and it was refreshing not to cover Notre Dame this way on Sunday, but I'm going to transition back into it, is like, is Notre Dame getting any closer to Alabama? Is it getting any closer to Ohio State? Is it getting any closer to Clemson slash Georgia? Um, do you watch Notre Dame through that prism still, or are you have you sort of figured out a way to enjoy it without thinking about uh, winning a national championship? I'll tell you, my best friend from Notre Dame uh, always says, he's like, I just root us to finish fifth in the, in, the, in the standings every year. He wants us to be fifth when the playoff selection committee things come out. And I get it. Um, I you just think, love the 12 teamer, by the way, where they get a home game out of that. But go on. Exactly. You get a home <laughs> game out of that. I just think the world has changed so much. It's, it's to, to be where Alabama and Ohio State and soon maybe Texas A&M are is so difficult. Um, not because the kids aren't like trying their best, like the, the, the resources allocated to football in those areas are ridiculous. Like I, I looked at Notre Dame the other night, again, what we already talked about, like within the athletes Notre Dame has, they play about as well as can possibly be expected. And, um, and then you get a Kyle Hamilton who makes the plays that you guys saw that Pete highlighted on Twitter that one play, which is Quentin Nelson-esque. Like, the difference between Alabama and Notre Dame is they've got 8 to 12 Kyle Hamiltons, maybe more, right? Mm-hmm. Like Kyle Hamilton is a special talent. Um, and, and even Kevin Austin, what he showed, or Michael Mayer. Like, to be, to be where Alabama is, you've got to have 10 to 15 guys like that on your squad. You've got guys like that sitting the bench at Alabama. And, and, you know, Eric Parsegian used to have teams like that relative to other teams. It's hard. It's really hard to get those that many guys of that talent. And talent matters. Like, you know, coaching matters, but talent matters. Like having Michael Mayer on your team makes third down a lot easier. As you illustrated on one of your uh, tweets, I think, this morning about the third and shorts passing the ball. So, so I look at it through the prism of given who they have, how well are they playing? And, and for this season, to me, that comes down to, like, if I'm t- looking at one position group, I'm looking at linebackers. They've just lost two of the important linebackers. Prince Collie is on the two deep now, right? Yes. He's a true freshman who's highly rated. You know, the other night, and you, did you guys notice this too? Like, watching on television, I kept seeing number 27. Kept seeing number 27, which is J.D. Bertrand. Mm-hmm who has made a remarkable step up in just, you know, in his time there. Like he was a key player now on that defense. He's, I don't know where you'd rank him in terms of importance on that defense, but I felt like he was in the middle of so many plays watching Sunday night. And I didn't see him at all last year, basically. Yeah, no, I mean, you're dead on. He would, he was not involved. I think he played about 30 snaps all year and played 70 against Florida state. So it's a, it's just a completely different set of circumstances for him. And like, as you mentioned, his importance has gone up because they don't have anybody else. I mean, they're down. Yeah. It's basically him at that position now. So it's 
you know, when you look at what Alabama is doing, I think, you know, they lost a dynamic edge rusher over the weekend off their Miami game, but it's right. kind of no great shakes there. Like just roll out right. the next guy off the factory line. And like Notre Dame is sort of a little bit closer to like a bare bones situation all like after one week at that position. Did you see, I know you guys were at the game, but I don't know if you watched it on TV afterward to watch the replay. Did you see what the Aflac trivia question was? I did see that. Yeah. Yes. Wasn't that surprising? It's, you know, I had looked it up uh, a while back. I think it was maybe around the time Jalen Smith was going to go top 10 until he got hurt. Um, so I knew the answer, but it is the fact that, you know, the last top 10 pick from Notre Dame on defense was Bryant Young after the 93 season. Four. Yeah, 93 season. Is is pretty wild. It's pretty wild that Notre Dame hasn't I was, had I was home. snippet. I was home for that game. I watched that too. And I, I remember that stack coming up when Ronnie Stanley was drafted in the top 10 in 2016, I think, mm-hmm. which was crazy because they've had multiple since then, particularly on the offensive line. But one of those things you just don't really think about till it smacks you in the face like that on national TV. Wow. Hey, I want to point out one play from the game that has gotten a little attention, but I don't think enough. Um, Mackenzie Milton's shovel pass. Mm. If you watch that play, there's two Notre Dame defenders who know it's coming. They, 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 they are ready for it. Like, it's a great athletic play by Mackenzie Milton. J.D. Bertrand and one lineman sort of saw what was happening if you watch the play. And and so, like, you know, so many times, oh, the defense should have been ready for that or blah, blah, blah. They were sort of ready for it. He just made a better play. And and so that leads to my question is, where where was Mike Norvell in August? Like, was he watching Florida State's practices? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, it was – how obvious was it who the better intuitive – quarterback was i mean i don't travis by all accounts though was winning throughout august and they just waited to announce it and they they have or again on the depth chart for week two like i'm like i I don't disagree with anything you said i i do wonder if there was some magic in the moment and the momentum where you catch a really good team off guard defensively that let their guard down and it's a once in a lifetime moment you'll never be able to recreate like what's we all know what Mackenzie Milton is capable of healthy. We saw it three years ago, but, you know, what's he going to be like in the third quarter against Jacksonville State this weekend when it's, you know, a close game? I know we're not all going to be following Florida State as closely the rest of the year, but I, I am, I'm going to say, based on all the football we've watched in our lives, like this guy is just intuitively a better quarterback. Uh, and, and I think Travis Jordan looks like is more athletic and Mackenzie Milton isn't even six feet tall, but he just makes plays. He just made plays. And if I'm wrong, well, hopefully we'll revisit this at some point. But I, I just – that blew my mind. Uh, and I know the momentum and the magic of the moment, but he just made plays. And I don't know – you know, that's – there's more than just coaching in there. He just – yeah, I, it shocked me, like, <laughs> watching that, like how Mike Norvell had him on the bench until, what, nine minutes left in the game. I would argue his best play of the night, in keeping with the theme you were just talking about, intuitiveness, the last play of regulation. I mean, wild snap. They're about to be out of field goal range. Somehow this guy who almost had his leg amputated three years ago has a presence of mind to pick up the football and throw it away and keep them in field goal range. Like that play should have decided the game. Yeah, And pass pass the line of scrimmage. Um, 
Anyway, but, you know, we haven't given enough time to Toledo in this podcast. <laughs> did, do, did you do you have a hot take on Toledo? or? Um, I've got one hot take on okay. Toledo. Are you ready? Yeah, go for it. Because you know I'm calling, I'm, we're talking from Phoenix, and my son's lost, you know, the, the championship. Toledo's two offensive stars are Kevin Johnson, a former Phoenix Suns guard, <laughs> and Jawan Carter, which is a lot like Javon Jafar. Carter, who's a current Suns guard. So I think Matt or Pete, that needs to be in the lead of your story. Pete, Pete can take that one. Yeah, I, th- I, I appreciate the tip because I may have a hard time figuring out something interesting to write <laughs> off this game on Saturday, especially following up on the Florida State game. Just not, just not going to feel the same. It, it won't have the same magic to it. That's okay. You got a couple, a couple weeks. It's. I won't look for it. I don't want to make that mistake. So. I'll, just, I'm not even going to go there. Their D line coach is Larry Black. He was a GA when Notre Dame made the playoff in 2018. I think that's probably the only connection between these players. Uh, Jonathan Jones, oh. graduate transfer linebacker, is. Oh, uh, didn't know he was there. I believe Never still mind. on that roster as a sixth year senior. Um, and as you, oh, wow. Well, you guys know, like, there are there are plenty of Toledo area students at Notre Dame. It's Deshaun Kaiser. Yes. All right, Deshaun Kaiser. Like, there's some, there's some schools in that area that are good feeder schools. For, uh, for Notre Dame. So I think there'll be some good connections, at least that way, among students in the stands uh, paying attention. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, is the-, the, the stands is kind of an interesting thing because it's, I mean, barring something miraculous, it's not going to sell out. It may not even be close. Um, wow. So that, I don't know if we're sort of issuing in a new era of Notre Dame fandom or just there's too many variables in the COVID world to really draw any conclusions off of it. Have they has they have they considered contacting Trev Alberts about this? He's really good <laughs> <laughs> and making those non sellouts disappear. Yeah, I think Notre Dame has exhausted its budget for uh, calling in alums to buy tickets <laughs> for the game, and they're just like, you know what? We're going to save. We're just going to save this money and uh, watch those seats. Sit People were saving up for Peacock Plus. Oh, yeah, yeah, simple as that. Peacock Plus. You guys reach out to me after the podcast. I actually have a couple of classmates of mine from Notre Dame who are insanely wealthy who we can we can reach out to if we really need it it's not me obviously (laughs) but they've got some names on buildings there kids I just was sitting in South Dining Hall with not not all that long ago so you reach out to me I'll reach out to them we can make this happen I I thought you were going to say they were going to have a watch party because they didn't want to pay individually to watch this game (laughs) on uh, streaming (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they're not. They're not multi-millionaires because they're stupid, Matt. Like they don't. They just no. Don't throw money they stay. Away. They stay rich by not spending their money on stuff they don't. There you need. go. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, John, we appreciate you uh, taking some time out for your morning in Arizona to join us on the Shamrock. Um, this definitely we have not got. We have not touched enough of uh, Ernest Borgnine commentary or Jim Brown, the lacrosse player, or. Uh, <laughs> We don't, and we don't, frankly, we don't have Seinfeld references on the show either. So thank you for filling all three it's, of those holes. And blondies, and blondies. Yeah, I am going to do my best to get Ernest Borgnine at one reference every time. If I ever appear back on the Shamrock, we're going to have another Ernest Borgnine. It, it could be Marty. Uh, I don't know. It, it's going to be something. But Well, next uh, time you yeah. go on the Audible with Bruce and Stu, like, I, I will be listening for your Ernest Borgnine <laughs> reference. <laughs> I'll make it an adjective. I'll say he was positively Borgnine-esque in the way he performed. Something to that effect. 
I love it. I love it. Well, John, thanks again for uh, taking some time to join the Shamrock. And uh, we will definitely have you back for future uh, 1950s and 60s cinema references down the road. <laughs> My pleasure, guys. Thank you. Thank you.